You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen. How y'all doing, church? Good, man. It's good to be here to worship Jesus in this place. Um, we've had some some sickness going around. How many of you have ever had the flu? You just raise your hand. All right, yeah, me too. So back in 2020, um, I was working night shift. I, I left work a little early just because I was feeling really, really bad. And it was the, the night before Valentine's Day. So it was February 13th. I go home. I get some sleep. I wake up. I'm still feeling bad. And I take Ashley on the most romantic, like, Valentine's date ever. We went to Golden Corral on Bobby Jones, and man, it was fantastic, except I got sick, sick, sick. We had just planted the church, so I went to the doctor. She was like, you have the flu. I said, well, I can't have the flu. I got to preach, um, and she said, well, you're not preaching. I said, yes, I am. You don't go to my church, right? You can't tell me what to do. I did not preach that day, so I, I had to call Andrew like Two days before Sunday, I was like, hey, man, congratulations. It's your first time preaching at Impact, and good luck. So I say all that to say this, that when, when people see you with the flu, they don't see the flu. They see the symptoms of the flu. And even though that's negative, right, that, that's a picture of the gospel because when the gospel infects your life, you don't necessarily see the, the gospel, but you see some symptoms of the gospel that come out in your life. And Paul, he, he, he begins to share some of these at the end of chapter 3 in this letter to the church at Colossae. And what he, what he starts with, and what we, what we always have to start with is the gospel, but we never graduate from that. The gospel comes in and it penetrates us on the inside, and because of what's happening on the inside, then symptoms come out on the outside. It's an inside-out type of thing. See, God begins to woo people unto Himself by the, by the Spirit. The Spirit does what only the Spirit can do. And because of the work on the inside, our life is forever changed. But it's not just changed on the inside. It begins to show on the outside. But what we've done is we've, we've kind of mixed that order up. And we think, hey, so let's do all these things and then maybe God will love me. And Paul says, man, that, that's just the wrong way. God loves you and because of His love, and because he's changed you on the inside, then you begin to show the symptoms of a gospel-infected life. But we have to understand this on the heels of what we've already talked about in this series, because it would be very easy for us to see these characteristics, these symptoms of a gospel-infected life, and think that we have to do these things in order to be saved. And that's why I believe that Paul starts with the gospel and that we can't do anything apart from Jesus. And that it's always identity before activity. That it's always who you are before it is what you do. That it's always the vertical relationship first, and because of the vertical relationship, it affects everything horizontally in our life. We have to remember that Paul said Jesus canceled the record of debt by doing what? By nailing it to the cross. We have to remember that this isn't a religion, that it's a relationship with Jesus. 
We remember last week where we talked about, man, we set our minds on life, on things above, and we put to death the sin that is trying to kill us. And that is the order. It doesn't go the other way around. We don't focus on sin and try to stop. We focus on Jesus. And because of the infected life that we have through the gospel, then we begin to change and sin begins to be put to death. And it's on the heels of that we see that Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit and says, hey, so last week I told you what to put off. This week I'm going to tell you what to put on. And it's all about Jesus. We're going to start in verse 11. But here's how it can all be summed up, and Scripture teaches this. Like, what are we supposed to do as Christians? How does it change our life? It's love God and love people. Right? Love God and love people. It starts vertical. It's our relationship with Him first. And because of that love with Him, then it goes horizontally to people. It's always love God, love people. Verse 11 says this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. One of the symptoms, I'm going to give you a lot of symptoms today, but one of the symptoms of the gospel-infected life is that there is no room for prejudice and there is no room for hate. That there, there are two races when it comes to the gospel. It is people that are following after man and people that are following after Jesus. Here's the truth, that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter about your past. That at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. One of the symptoms of the gospel-infected life is that there's no room for hate. There's no room for prejudice. There's no room for thinking that you are better than anyone else. And there's no room to think you are less than anyone else. Because in Him, we are children of God. Amen. And there's, there's no better truth than that to me. That at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. That, that at the, the feet of Jesus, man, that there's no room for pride. There's no room for hate. There's no room for any of that. Because He came for all. And He is in all. That is one of the symptoms of the gospel. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, put on then. So last week we said, hey, put off this stuff. And then he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We're going to stop right there just for a second. Because you have to know who you are before you begin to try to do stuff. And Paul tells us who we are in verse 12. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is what I want you to know about chosen. That God loves you and there has never been a time that you weren't loved by God. Here's some more good news for you. That because He chose you and because He loves you and because He knows all things and He's over all things, guess what? He's never been disappointed in you. And maybe you're sitting there like, man, if you knew me, like, you, you wouldn't say that. But here's how I know that. 
Because the way that you disappoint someone is you don't meet their expectations. Right? Maybe you're disappointed in me on Sundays because you come here and then you leave like, what What was that? That was horrible. I let you down. Right? We can't let God down because we've never been holding God up. His expectation for us is Jesus. And He sees Jesus. And He knew everything you would do before you did it. So live in the freedom that you don't disappoint God because He's already chosen you and He already loves you. Charles Spurgeon said this, I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen Him. And I am sure He chose me before I was born or else He never would have chosen me afterwards. And He must have chosen me for reasons unknown to me for I never could find any reason in myself why He should have looked upon me with special love. The truth is this, man, we don't deserve it. We are jacked up, imperfect people that don't deserve the love of God. And he said, but I choose you and I love you. And that's who we are. We're chosen ones and we're holy. And holy simply it doesn't mean perfect, it means set apart. And he sets us apart because God looks at you and says, hey, that, that one's mine. That one's a part of my family. So we've been set apart and then it says, Beloved. Now, I like to keep this in English because in English, this, this really could just be a sentence in itself if you break this word up, and it's really just be loved. And can you be loved? Be loved by God. Because you are, but can you accept that? Can you really accept the fact that the Creator of the universe loves you and some of you are sitting in this place right now and you're thinking, there's no way he can love me. There's no way he can love me. Man, and he says, wait a minute, you're chosen, you're holy, and you are loved. That is who you are, and it's because of who you are that the gospel begins to really change your life and you begin to see the symptoms of a gospel infected life. See, it's so important to accept the love because love people love people. And when we can't accept God's love the way that He wants to lavish His love upon us, it's really hard for us to love people the way that He's called us to love people. But the truth is that if we're really loved and we really accept that, then love people love people. The end of verse 12 as it says, so put on then as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The first five symptoms, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I look at that list and go, uh-oh. Like, man, how, how many of you, if you, like, some of y'all know me really well. How many of y'all, if you had to describe me as your pastor, would say, yeah, he's compassionate and kind and humble and meek? And man, he's very patient. How many of you would say that? Not many of you would say that about me. But here's the truth, and here's the scary part. This is the sanctified version. And just think about me before Jesus. I was a gangster. Like, this... This is tough. 
Compassionate heart means this. It means that the things that break the heart of God begin to break your heart. Now what breaks the heart of God? Lostness breaks the heart of God. People that don't know Him break His heart. Do you have a heart for lost people? Do you pray for the salvation of lost people? Do you share your story of, of Jesus with lost people? Or are you just so happy that you've been rescued that you don't worry about everybody else, that maybe they'll be rescued one day too. No, the truth is this, that once we're rescued, we join the rescue team, man. And it's our responsibility to pray for and to share with those who need Jesus. Does your heart break for what breaks the heart of God? And then he says kindness. Now kindness and compassion are different. Compassion is, is seeing the need or having the, the heart for something. And kindness is the action that follows the compassion. So it's like those commercials with, with the animals that need adopting. And then like the song comes on and it's really sad. And it's like, I got to flip this because I'm about to start crying. And I'm going to give all my money away to these people. See, the compassion is that's really sad and they really need some help. The kindness would be that you actually step up and do something to help. So Paul says compassionate hearts, kindness, then he says humility. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is understanding the fact that you don't deserve it, but God did it for you anyway. Humility is saying, who am I that you would lay down your life for me? Humility isn't, isn't thinking that you're, you're less. It's just thinking of yourself less and thinking of Jesus more. And then meekness. And again, meekness does not mean weak. I know that's a word that we kind of we correlate with weak. It doesn't. The, the Greek word here is like the, the, uh, the bit and bridle on a horse and you just turn the reins of your life over. To someone, it's really harnessing the power that God has given you through His Spirit and saying, hey, do with my life what you want to do with my life. You steer me in the direction that you want me to go. How many of us are, are really good at that? Let's just be honest real quick. How many of us are really good at saying, hey, God, whatever you want, man, steer my life the way that you would have it? Now, one of our, one of our problems is that we want so much control that we might give God just a little bit, and then we want to control the rest. And God says, hey, turn over the reins of your life. Turn it all over to me. Let me steer you by my Spirit in the way that I want you to go. After all, He is the Creator of the universe. He does know all things. And some of you, you think you know all things. That sometimes I think I know all things. I was set up this morning by, by Ashley because Alden had some clothes laid out or a shirt. You know, I get the boy ready. That's all I do on Sundays. Told y'all that. And he had a shirt laid out and he just needed some khaki shorts. So she told me, hey, get Alden some khaki shorts. Everything else is good. And I was like, well, it's a little cold. You know, he probably doesn't need shorts. Let's put some pants on. And she said, 
you do whatever, I trust you. Now, I took that as, do whatever, I trust you. That's not what she meant. Because we did whatever, and then she saw him and said, he looks horrible. He's not wearing that. So obviously, she did not trust me. He didn't look horrible, by the way. He looked very adorable. However, he is wearing exactly what she had picked out originally. So she, so I say that to say this, that I have turned the reins of a lot of stuff over to my wife and husbands in the room. You need to practice that sometimes. You need to turn the reins over to your wife and just let her do some controlling every now and then because that's the way to pursue her. And if you go back to Song of Solomon, the more we pursue, the more godliness we get to have in our marriage. Don't forget the series. They all work together. And then he says patience. Patience. Don't pray for patience, right? I've learned that. People say that because there's there's not like some patient fairy that's going around and like sprinkling patience dust on you. That's not how it works. You pray for patience and then you have three kids. You pray for patience and then you, you're stuck in traffic on the way to work. You pray for patience and then you marry somebody like me, right? Like you just, you pray for these things and... This is why Paul says patience is because you have to think how patient is God with you? And you're like, well, he's, he's pretty patient. And then he would say, well, that's how patient you should be with other people. These are some symptoms of the gospel affect your life. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another means putting up with. He's talking about Christ followers, like bearing with each other. So it's these pe- like the people in this room like, it's putting up with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, how many of you have ever had a complaint about someone sitting in this room? Let's just be honest. All right. Sometimes it's me, right? Sometimes y'all complain against me. That's cool. The Bible tells us what to do. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And you say, hey, man, look, they don't deserve it. It's like, that's cool. I agree. You don't either. You don't deserve it either. I don't deserve it either. And it says, how should we forgive the way that the Lord has forgiven you? So how has the Lord forgiven you? Well, He's forgiven all. He's forgiven all sin for all time. And here's the deal. We struggle to forgive someone for one sin, one time. And God forgives all sin for all time. And then we sit here thinking, well... Man, it's just I can't do this. Now, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get really really real with you. Really really real. That if we've tasted the forgiveness of God, like if we've truly tasted it and we've truly experienced it, there's there's really no way that we can't offer that to someone else because there's nothing that anyone can do to us that even holds a candle to what we did to him. And it says, hey, so I'm not, I'm not saying that you, you don't struggle with it. I'm saying that when we've, when we've really experienced the true forgiveness of God inside of us, that it changes us from the inside out. And we begin to show forgiveness to others, not because they deserve it, 
not because they're good people, not because they're right, not because they get away with stuff. No, simply because we have been forgiven by God. And because of that forgiveness, man, we have to forgive others. Just as loved people love people, forgiven people forgive people. It's just part of the gospel perspective of it. And what forgiveness does is it demonstrates to the world that this stuff exists. That Christianity, it, it, it must be real because, man, when we get people together, there's some friction. Right? You do, you do life with people long enough, there's going to be some friction. And where there's friction, there's heat. And then heat begins to break things down. And Paul would say, well, forgiveness is the way to do that. When you have a, a complaint against someone, then you just go to that person and you forgive them. doesn't mean they're right. It doesn't mean that you have to, to be all buddy-buddy with them and be their best friend. No, man, it just means that because you've been forgiven, what they've done, it's not going to hold you down. It's not going to weigh you down. You are able to forgive them because of the, the forgiveness that you have received. And because of that, we begin to do life together in a way that the world doesn't understand. Because we're so unified in the fact that it's all about Jesus. It always has been. And it always will be. Verse 14 says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is a symptom of the gospel in sexual life. Now, when I say love, I don't want you to think about the, the feelings, the little butterflies that you get, right? Husbands, this is for you, man. I'm about to tee this up for you. How many husbands in here still get butterflies when they look at their wife? Every hand better be, that's what I'm talking about. This is another good way to pursue. I'm not talking about that, man. The Bible is really clear that, that love is not a feeling, that love is an action. And we see it in 1 Corinthians, and I read this at every wedding that I do, and I think that a lot of people read it at weddings, but a lot of people don't understand what it really means. That, that love isn't just what you feel inside, that love is, is action. You act something out. So when people come to me, and may, let's just say a husband comes to me and says, hey man, I just don't think I love I don't think I love my wife anymore. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. So just start loving her then. Because what you're telling me is that you don't have this feeling anymore. But what the Bible says is that love is an action. So start loving her through actions. And, and it says that love is patient. Love is kind. Love, it, it's not envious. It doesn't boast. It doesn't keep any record of wrongs, which means that there's forgiveness that takes place, love is an action. Verse 15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. How can the peace of God rule in your heart? It's a big deal for us, man. We live in a world that is just crazy. We live in a world where there's just not much peace so how can the peace of God rule in your heart? Well, I think it's a cause and effect type thing because the gospel penetrates your life 
And because of that, the effect is that you've experienced the peace of God that transcends all understanding, and there's no way that it can't rule in your heart. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have some craziness and some chaos. It means that when you get to the, to the root of it all, that the peace of God is there, ruling above all else. Are you experiencing the peace of God this morning? The problem is we look for peace in all the wrong places. We look for peace in relationships. We look for peace in the things of this world. We, we try to satisfy our souls with stuff. And then this world begins to trap us. And then we, we think that we have peace. And then we realize that there, there's nothing there. Because the only source of true peace is found in the person of Jesus. See, peace isn't, peace isn't just a, a, a thing that you find. It's a person that you have a relationship with. And His name is Jesus. Now, at the end of verse 15 and verse 16 and 17, we're going to see that something's repeated three times in these two and a half verses. Now, you might be new to Bible study, and maybe you've been around church for a long time, but when something's repeated back to back to back, I feel like it's pretty important. Like, that's the reason that it's repeated. And we see at the end of verse 15, it says, and be thankful. And be thankful. The last symptom we're going to talk about this morning is gratitude. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Three times in a row he says, thanks, thanks, thanks. He's talking about gratitude. He's talking about having an attitude of gratitude. See, I think a lot of people get personality and attitude mixed up. In our generation, everybody knows their personality type. Everybody's taking some test to understand their personality. And that's good. I think you should know that. But the problem is when we have a bad attitude, we blame it on our personality. And that's just not biblical. Because we see that, that in Scripture it says your attitude should be, and then it really doesn't matter what it says, that just shows us that we control that. We control our attitude. So we can't blame it on a personality type. When you're yelling at somebody in traffic, it's not because of a personality type. When you feel entitled, it's not because of a personality type. It's just because that's your attitude. And we control our attitude. And some of us, we need to, we need to get our attitude in check. And in check, I mean, we need to point it to the gospel. We need to shift our attitude back to Jesus. See, I think there's two, there's two different types of people. There's entitled and there's grateful. And there's a lot of, lot of stuff in between that you can put in those two categories. But those are the two main categories. The person that is entitled says, look at me. The person that is grateful says, look at the cross. Entitled says, do you know who I am? 
grateful says, who am I that you would take my place? Entitled says, you owe me. Grateful says, I could never pay you back. Entitled looks down their nose at other people and grateful set their minds on the things above. So we have to watch our minds, our thoughts, because that shapes, that shapes the way that we speak and it shapes our heart. It all plays together. Maybe some of you, you would never say you're entitled, but you just have that attitude about you. Like, I've, I've never met anyone that has walked around saying, yep, I'm entitled, right? That's just not what people do. But when we think so highly of ourselves and we think that we're, we're owed something or look at me, all of this stuff, that's entitlement. And then we, there's no way to be grateful when we have that attitude. So this is, this is something I've done, and I'm going to challenge you guys to do this as well. But I've, I've written down 36 things that I'm, I'm thankful for. And it's one, year, one thing for every year that I've been alive. I'm going to challenge you to do that. For some of you in here, it would take about three minutes. Some others, take a little longer. You've lived a little, little longer than we have. God bless you. So 36 things, and I'm just going to read some of these to you. But I, I try to remind myself of this list because it keeps me grateful for what, who God is and what He's done in my life. So I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for Impact Church. I'm thankful for my wife, thankful for my kids, thankful for my job. I'm thankful for the Diablos truck at work. I'm thankful for my life group. I'm thankful that God allows me to be a part of this city. I'm thankful for the staff that we have here at Impact Church. I'm thankful that I don't worry about stuff like I used to. And I'm thankful I'm thankful that I'm forgiven. And there's some more. But I would challenge you to make your own list. One thing for every year of your life. And I would read this over and over and over and over. Because it's a way to remind yourself that you don't deserve the love of God. And it's a way to remind yourself that you don't deserve Diablo's truck at work. But what a blessing it is when you forget your lunch at home. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Are you walking around thinking that, man, I deserve this. I don't know why this isn't happening. I, I'm owed this. Do you know who I am? Or are you walking around saying, man, I could never repay you? Who am I that you would take my place? 
Who am I that you would forgive me? Man, who am I that you would send Jesus on a rescue mission to reconcile me back to the Creator, to the Father? Who am I? Man, here's the truth. You don't deserve anything that you have. And some of you, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I worked hard for this. Congratulations, you don't deserve it. It doesn't matter how hard you've worked for it. You don't deserve it. It's all because of Him. He owns it all. And just as quickly as He's given it to you, He can take it all away. And here's the question, would He still be enough for you? Or do you just love Him because of the blessings and the stuff that you have? No, His grace is enough. It is sufficient for all things. And the enemy, man, he wants to come in and he wants to, he wants to help you have this attitude of entitlement. He wants to help you not forgive people. He wants to help you not love people. He doesn't want you to be compassionate. He doesn't want you to be kind. He doesn't want you to be humble or meek or patient. He doesn't want you to be any of that. And man, he's doing a good job. But if we're not careful, we can look at this list and we could say, well, man, I need to get all this stuff right. But now I don't want you to forget the beginning of this letter. It's identity before activity. This isn't a you have to do this to be a follower of Jesus. No, this is you do this because you are a follower of Jesus. This is your identity has been changed. You are now God's chosen one, His, His holy one, His beloved. And because of that, because the gospel has infected your life, it begins to do something on the inside. And from the inside out, we begin to show symptoms of a gospel infected life. And the way to do this, man, it's it's really is to focus more on Jesus. And you're like, well, that sounds you say that every week. Yeah, I do, because that's the truth. The problem is we try to manufacture this fruit. Right? We try to manufacture these symptoms. We try to we try to create these things. But when you go to the grocery store and you go to the to the fruit area, right, or the vet, the whatever it is, I don't go over there, man. I'm not healthy at all. Whatever you, it is, the produce section, okay. And that's important because that's what these symptoms are. They're produced in us. We can't manufacture these. You can't manufacture a compassionate heart. You can't man manufacture kindness or humility, or meekness, or patience, or forgiveness, or love, or gratitude. You can't manufacture any of that. It's produced in you because of the gospel of Jesus. And how is that done? We see in John 15, verse 4, it says this, Abide in me. Jesus is saying, hey, abide in me, meaning 
stay close. Get close to me. Come close to me. Stay in me. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jeremiah 29 says, Seek the Lord and you will find Him. In the book of James, we see the promise that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. God is saying, hey, just lean in. Just lean in. Just draw near. Just, just stay close to me. Just abide in me. So if we want to have more compassion, we don't try to have more compassion. No, we just abide more in Jesus. If we want to have more kindness, we don't try to be more kind. We try to abide more in Jesus. It's about staying close to Him and being hidden in Him. Are you doing that? Are you abiding? Are you, are you leaning in to the power of the Spirit in your life? What are you doing to stir your affections for Him? Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.